You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking to Russell Kane, fabulous comedian, absolute ball of energy uh, and also really committed to being the toughest kid on the estate when it comes to getting laughs. Um, we're going to talk about Russell's place in the comedy firmament or certainly his idea of his place. We'll talk about the creative power of his energy on stage and uh, we'll talk about his perhaps surprising reaction to Stuart Lee's material about him as well as learning about the hour-long preview which he scripted in just eight words moments before walking on stage. If you'd care to join the Insiders Club or if you're already a member and if you're not you can sign up at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. You get 25 minutes of extra content including Russell's amazing advice for comics considering performing live stand-up on YouTube, for which there isn't really a name, but live stand-up on YouTube. It's a thing he does. Uh, you can search for caning on YouTube if you'd like to see some of those. Um, and thoughts on his possible overcommitment to showing one particular critic who was boss. That's all at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Here is the very funny Russell Kane. Let's start with some of your material. I The last time I saw you live oh. was at... The Apollo, I think, and you were doing a bit of material about it really stuck with me because it was about it was kind of about parenthood, but it wasn't specific to parenthood. You you it was a really good example of something you do really well, which is to find like the bones of an idea, zoom out from it and make it universal and then zoom back into it and find the funnies in it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think the bit of material was about phases in your life and the fact that everyone goes through this process of going this you know this is a phase in my life that I'm in right now and I'm happy and I'm settled but I want something else and then going for the next thing whether that's a house or a job change or a family or what have you and um do you know do you know the bit I mean yeah yeah it's it's actually about the illusion uh, of keep thinking, oh, I'm grown up now. So this is the this is the main adult bit. You know, the, the main bit of the sandwich is obviously aged thirty to sixty. That's the main sandwich bit of adulthood where you raise. You know, this is the, the after bit is the the crappy after party where you got osteoporosis and you're coming down. The before bit is where you're just biting into the drugs. That, but the thirty to sixty, that's the meat of the rave. And of course, it's bullshit because that's what you believed. If you can remember your 11th birthday, I can, or my 10th birthday. I remember getting into double digits and having a 10th birthday. I couldn't believe my age was made of two digits. And I thought, well, that's the baby bit out of the way. You know, I'm, I'm, I feel grown up now. And then you get to a teenager, you go, you can't, you know, I can't believe I thought 10 was grown up. This is the real shit I've got to deal with. And on and on. And uh, I'm a bit, it's a, uh, so I, I think life, 
advances, not in, people say, oh, but it's just slow increments. You don't feel yourself aging. It's these slow increments. Before you knew it, you're old. That's what you think uh, when you look back. But if you actually look back more closely, it's a mixture, much like, um, oh, who's the, the scientific theorist that did it? It's either Thomas Kuhn or Karl Popper. Science advances with a combination of... Yes, slow evolution with slow tweaking of Newtonian laws, slow tweaking, of, followed by, boom, Einstein, massive revolution, slow tweaking of Einsteinian laws. Okay. That is losing your virginity. That is going to university. That is getting married. That is your first kid being born. That's your kid going to secondary school. That's your kid leaving home. That's you retiring. That's you going into the nursing home. And that's you dying. So there's these little leaps onto different cliffs, which feel slow, but in fact, there's always another cliff to go, except we just don't know what's beyond the last one. That's where religious people and non-religious people part ways. So, so when writing that bit of material, had you done the reading beforehand and thought, I, can, I, I like that idea and I can, I can express it in a funny way? Or did, you, or did it kind of percolate from having read it years ago? Or do you now look at having stumbled upon that idea and now go, oh, yeah, that's a parallel with that bit of popper? So... This is where I do have to be uh, careful because it makes me really unpopular with comedians every time I say this. <laughs> it, it's it's my, bro- my broad opinion that there's very roughly speaking two types of comic. Go on. The, gen- the genius craftsman writer whose thoughts will be here long after you and I are dead and whose Wikipedia page will still be visited. People who actually leave something in the atmosphere. Uh, Frankie Boyle, Stuart Lee on a, on a mainstream level. Uh, Michael McIntyre, brilliant observations. Um, people like that that have actual bits that you can't wait to go to the pub and talk about. Then there's the other group of people... Uh, I think maybe even uh, Lee Mac does both a little bit, but he's probably the head of this group. I'm in this group who just a funny person who one day thinks, shit, I can monetize this stuff I'm already saying to my mates and picked up a microphone. I have never, touch wood, to this day, written any stand-up down ever. Um, or what I do is every time something funny happens to me or if some the minute my daughter says something funny or Lindsay says something funny or if I make my mother-in-law laugh at dinner who we're in a childcare support bubble with, recording this during lockdown 3.0, uh, I quickly write in my notes, made Yvonne laugh about talcum powder. That is all I will take on stage if for the preview. Bullet point, Yvonne talcum powder routine. So my first 60-minute preview probably has about 10 bullet points on it, no more than 200 words. And then I quickly tell those stories in whatever words come into my head and advance, just to, sorry to reuse the same metaphor twice, to advance in a Darwinian way, keeping the funny bits. That's why I do so many more previews than almost everyone I know. I do 40 or 50 before my first gig uh, because I just keep, finding the, the funny in that so I'd start with my pub story and then I'd drop the bit that it doesn't isn't universally funny so that answers your question about how I find the universal is that it's a basic glitter-clad whore looking for where the laughs are found in the majority of people in a mainstream audience and that routine in particular was a bridging bit between talking about uh, getting married and I one day I said oh you think you're going to get married and you think you've completed and there's another level to go called leaving the honeymoon but it got a massive laugh so the next night I added another layer and it grew like that over four nights and then I added long words to it and thoughts and it sounds really profound that's how it was built that that way that's a great answer thank you that way that you are sort of casually dismissive of your ability like that you kind of naturally place no, place yourself not, in do you know what i mean like no, I, the ability 
the ability could be superior. Lee, in my opinion, for what it's worth, Lee Mackey's one of my top three uh, funny people in the country, if we're using funny in its proper sense. Um, but people like your posh critics and everything would want to stick other things in the funny box. Quite rightly, one of the best shows I've watched in the last three years is uh, Nanette, Hannah Gadsby. If you were lucky enough to see it live, I'm very envious if not watch it on Netflix. But they're different things, really. One's an amazing piece of stand-up, brilliantly written, that we'll probably be watching a 100 years. And the other is your funny mate who'll make you piss your pants laughing. I wanted to be the second one. I still want to be the second one. That's what I was born to do. I just love arsing around and being funny. I don't have any other skills apart from uh, writing commercial writing and fiction, which I like doing, but I can't really do that for a living. I've tried. Um, so, yeah, it's it's purely... If, if I was at the side of the stage and me and you were messing around and uh, someone else was hosting and I had a sandwich that had gone off and we were joking about it, I probably would talk about that sandwich when I went on and it might go on for ages. <laughs> okay. So, but, but, but not with the Ross Noble surreal freewheeling, with the instant kind of looking for the universal observation. Yes. Oh, sorry. So not not with the freeling, but more with the what is it about that sandwich? I wouldn't go. This sandwich. Imagine if the sandwich was a tent and we were inside sure, it, sure, and the sure. cucumber was a massive fucking window. Yeah. I, I would just go, "What is it? We've gone off food. Why can some people tolerate it?" And then my brain would be like, "Oh yeah, people that never shit themselves when they get food poisoning." I probably would make fun of you. Do you? Which one out of you two doesn't get ill? And I'd be off down that tangent, looking for the universal black and white them and us belly laugh out of the sandwich riff we were doing at the side of the stage i'm the luckiest laziest right i'll never forget i won't say which comedian it was very 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 good comedian we were sharing a a profile um, uh, a preview slot where one had the first hour one had the second hour and he was on his 10th preview i was on my first for that edinburgh i think it was june so i was behind and uh he went on first so i could come up with 60 minutes at the side of the stage so and that year I got nominated for the Perrier. But it, I, I didn't I didn't come up with the 60 minutes. I just went through my notebook, looked for eight funny stories, mm-hmm. and then because of my previous life working in advertising, I'm really good at putting a pseudo structure and a net over it. Today's show's about stereotypes and myths. I just said a pretentious sentence like that and everyone believes it. And of course, if you say the word were if the word stereotypes and myths, anything in stand-up is stereotype. Oh, first of all, I want to explore the stereotypes of men versus women. First, next, I want to explore the stereotypes of Brits abroad. You know, so I mean, it fits. You name me a routine, I will fit that concept mm-hmm. to it. And I've done that with every one of my shows without a critic spotting a single time. It's too late now. I've got all the trophies. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Do you? You've mentioned critics twice. And I, I, I feel like there might be a bit of a... I'm interested in kind of digging into your feelings about the critical reception of your work. Because I, I wonder yes. whether... I think we all start off thinking, you know, the very first brilliant gig you have, I think we all think, I can be anything. I can be the best. Right, of course. We always sort of like, oh my God, I have access to this world. I can participate in this and I can potentially excel at this. And I think along the way we're all subject to pressures from outside critics, agents, the industry, the idea of the industry, our peers doing better or worse or whatever. And and that kind of moulds our apprehension of what our career is going to be. And mm. I wonder the extent to which, like when did you first kind of solidify that notion that there are the, the people who will stand the test of time and then the kind of funny fuck about people like me? Like, did you always think that? I never realised, I never realised I had an unusual... I never realised that's an unusually quick writing process until people told me. 
Because to me, it's the easiest thing in the world. If you go into Sainsbury's, point at an aisle and pick a product, and then I can come around the corner five minutes later and do not just a joke about it, but probably some sort of observation. If it's food, it'll be about keto food. If it's pet food, I'll do something about cats. But that's just like a... I don't think I'm on a spectrum of any kind because I don't have any problem with eye contact or emotions. But I, it's it's just a way. It did serve me really well in my first, the job I was doing before I did stand up advertising. And that someone can go, it's a chocolate bar. Uh, we've got um, Bradley uh, Walsh and his son. It's a chocolate bar, Cadbury's. What's the campaign going to be? We need to we need to launch dairy milk. I would I would go around to the brainstorm area and I'd sit in there for two days, whereas I already had the solution after an hour. And then I would build lots of hours and then come out with oh it's. It's just, well, here's a hundred, and, and there'll be like all paper over the wall. But I knew in the middle was a killer idea. I can just think of joke like the way it's weird, isn't it? That we have to be embarrassed about it. If I if I was a physic in physics or in maths or an engineer or I was an artist and was able to sketch a face quickly, I wouldn't have to hide it. But because of what we do, we have to go on stage and show off to be funny. There's an inbuilt arrogance in saying I'm, I'm really quick at thinking up the ideas that you know you're going to be judged for when other comedians see. i'm not worried about audiences hearing it they'll think that oh, oh russell's really quick at comedy let's go and see him but that's just i quickly realized though going to edinburgh over and over again that there was a difference the way the critics reviewed shows they didn't really care about how funny things were uh-huh. they cared about how innovatively funny they were and i've never agreed with that ever People won't laugh if the idea is hackneyed and too recognised. So people need to stop disappearing up their bum holes, declaring an idea cliched and hackneyed, if a room of a thousand people don't believe it so. It's Do- just that you've overstudied it till you've you've ruined it by looking at it. I, I, I definitely agree with the second half of that, overstudying stuff that you can ruin it, of course. But I wonder, have you never seen a comedian get a big laugh off something you knew to be... You know, I mean, I don't like using the word hack, but something that has, you know, a tired observation, a well-worn path. We've all seen comics get big laughs off those, surely. Yeah, I've seen comedians get big laughs off something I, Russell Kane, believe to be a well-worn path and have then learned it's not that well-worn if it can make a thousand people laugh with surprise. But is, it, is, is that laugh always surprise or is that laugh simply satisfaction at them going, yes, that's, that's true? I don't think jokes can work like that. I think there needs to there needs to be an element. Unless someone's coming to see the exact same routine by the same comic, the way you might rewind like a Peter Kay um, mm-hmm. Netflix thing or to go, I love this routine, I watch it with your mates. Yes. But if someone comes to see me do a routine about COVID-19 and I wrote a COVID show last year and I managed to perform it about 50 times in that short summer uh, that we had, but, you know, straight, I could see all the comedians that went before me I'm thinking, oh, none of them have got anything that's like anything I'm about to say. So my stuff popped more. Yeah, it just does. Whereas if those acts who've been listening to all that stuff and looking at all the funny TikToks and looking at all the blogs, if I go on stage and it's well worn, it just won't surprise as much. You won't get that. That's so true. Why have I never thought of that? You won't get one of those. Yeah. If a majority of the audience have never pondered on the fact, it's horrible to us the comics to think it, but it's happened time and time again in history. I'm not likening, I don't even think comedy is particularly an art. I think we're closer to musical and I certainly don't think I'm a genius of any sort. I'm just someone who asses around and is a funny person. But if we look through history at some of the things that were written about some of the people we revere now, writers, Charles Dickens, mainstream, penny trash at the time and now hold up as high art, Mozart laughed at by Salieri for his obvious chord transitions, 
and, and his flights of fancy that were emotionally cheap. You can say what you like. The audiences will vote with their feet and people can sit with their noses in the air as Peter Kay and Michael McIntyre smashes a gig. But you'll be left with your noses in the air in an empty pocket and an empty theatre if your nose stays in the air too long. A comedian needs an audience. And there's definitely a middle path that your Daniel Kitsons and your Stuart Lees tread, and they're the comedians I love, where they're both achingly cry funny and brilliantly innovative. There's no doubt you can be ground... It's different to be groundbreakingly innovative than to simply be funny in a surprising way that smashes the gig. Yes. Not all of us, hardly any of us will be groundbreakingly innovative. Did you want to be? Not particularly, no. I just wanted to be as funny as possible so the audience couldn't breathe, so people had to leave. That's all I've ever wanted to do. (laughs) But they can't where they can't breathe, where no one can be funnier. Where, and so the only thing I'm groundbreaking on, I would say, or the only thing I've got a slight uniqueness on is my energy. Very, very rarely on a night will anyone light the room up energy-wise than me. I'll very rarely be the most original. And if you wrote it down on paper, I definitely wouldn't be the funniest and I certainly wouldn't have the best jokes. But I will normally, 95 98% of the time, have the most energy and that combined with workably surprising ideas was my is my can of red bull workably surprising ideas that's really that's a really interesting way of putting it like the you you see your material as good enough to let you ride it brilliantly yes correct correct it's surprising enough it's not ground it's not ross noble go on and improvise with a badger skin it's not Stuart lee take the current political situation and go off on an ad nauseum rant that i would never have the courage to do it's not frankie boyle i can't believe you just said that about someone with disability and made it funny in a mainstream way i'm never i'm never going to be any of those things um but I do have the most energy, the most enthusiasm and an ability to sort of find observations in a slightly elevated way. So I'm just yeah. slightly, slightly in the Edinburgh Ponzi camp, hence the trophies, but mainstream enough to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a good place to be. Um, so with that, with the pace, I find it. Do you find that that is does the does the pace and the energy underpin the creativity always because you know the way some people like if they do a funny voice or put on a bit of a character it unlocks a sort of creative place where they just you know the jokes spill out of them and my i would i would imagine i would suppose with you it's similar like could you could you come up with 5 minutes on the sandwich if you were operating <laughs> at a lower a, a lower energy level or does that does just, that necessarily? I'm trying to think of a specific example. So I've got a, a food poisoning routine which grew in my normal Darwinian way, which start. I think it's both, to be honest. I think the tags and the what I call. I've learnt a lot from watching my two masters, and my two masters are as far apart as possible, which not enough comedians do. There's a real problem at the moment with comedians coming through that have watched too much American comedy. If I could tell comedians in their twenties to do one thing now. It's never watch another sentence of American comedy. They don't realise how they look. The sort of slick suit wearing, they're not wearing suits, but they might as well be posturing rehearsed ness. It's 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 ruining their original voice. What do you and mean, uh, ma- earnest? Just just get into that. What do you mean, uh, earnest? What, what well, is their it? masters are too. I mean, your master. If your masters are too clustered, you will end up copying. Okay. Um, so you want two disparate masters, and if all your masters is 
I never know what anyone's talking about in a dressing room. I'm too scared of watching it. That latest Bill Burr special, like, you're from fucking Croydon. What are you talking about? The latest Bill Burr special. It's like, and they're, they're not just watching this shit. They're absorbing it into osmosis. And then they're leaning on the mic stand with a kind of slick type thing. And of course, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. And the worst thing is, you see with some of these, I'm not thinking of a specific comedian here, by the way. I'm just saying generally it's mm-hmm. a trend. You can see what you see in the American comedian's head, which the only time I've ever seen it is when I'm in Canada or the North America, the illusion that the gig's going better than it is. I mean, one of the best things about British comics is we think the gig's gone worse than it has, <laughs> meaning we're always, we're always getting better. We're always trying harder. If you go out with a kind of overly long musical sting, thrusting, musical tags, am I right, like, type stuff, I actually, we actually, I actually am seeing a plague of ironic am I right tags at the end of joke. Am I right? In an ironic American voice. You might be doing it in an ironic voice, but you and I both know you're looking for the am I right genuine point laugh. And it's just what happens is a homogeneity which is absolute death. Plus, we're not American. We're awkward and English and inward and fucked. So my two masters are completely far apart. They are, he hate, will hate me saying this, uh, Stuart Lee for, for dexterousness of thought and ad, what I call ad nauseum pushing past the comfort zone, which yep. I do with my energy, and Lee Max for the, the funny in the body funny person, funny look on the face, you just laugh when he opens his eyes, use of body and funny spirit. Those two together are good masters because I don't have anything of what Stuart Lee has, so I need to study the way he uses words to push. That doesn't come naturally for me. So in answer to your question, the food poisoning routine, I was able to, I'm able to take that on stage with a normal energy and just go, and quite calm for me anyway, not normal calm, but calm for me, go, you know, with food poisoning, there's people who make no noise when they throw up, and then there's the drama vomiters, right? There's the people, you would have lived with one where it's like, like an exorcism happening in the, in the toilet, and then there's the, your mate on the dance floor who could have done like three pills and IV for just go in the plant and carries on dancing. That was my starting point. Yeah. That was done at a normal energy. The bit that was written by the energy, which is Mm -hmm. a really long answer for what you've asked me, is when I started impersonating the vomiting. Now, a low energy person, say, I don't know, like a Sean Locke or a Jack D, they can only go so far. Or it might actually, they're too low energy. It would be powerful because of it. But someone in the middle, whereas I'm like a dervish whirling around the stage, my body like a salted slug for three or four minutes doing this operatic vomerotti i turn into italian i turn into a t-rex at one point i turn into james brown and it carries on and on and on that came out of me playing with my energy but the initial concept could have come with energy or without okay okay great great another excellent totally exhaustive answer russell (laughs) (laughs) exhausting that's been said many times yeah but i think it's important for newer comics try and um Find someone who you would love to be who's doing what you do better, Lee Mack, in my case, and then try and find someone you would love to have more of but is totally different to you. Mm. Don't choose someone who's cool and you want to emulate. It's the kiss of death. Most comedians pass through it. It's got to be said. There's some great comics who started young. If you go back, you can see them in their emulation phase, which is, yeah. in fact is an anal- analogous of your whole 20s, comedian or not. If you could be a plumber electrician listening to this. We go through a sort of emulating personality phase in our 20s. I remember, no I remember um, Norman Lovett 
telling me that Jeremy Hardy used to be a Norman Lovett impersonator, emu- emulator, way back when. There you go. There you go. But it says, have disparate be- and be cautious with It's very, very recent thinking American comics are cool. I, I mean, literally 10 years ago, when I won that flaming... Um, chalice that uh the perrier award the reason i call it a flaming chalice is because people then want you to fail because you won it um is uh no if you said oh if you watch chris chris rock yes people heard of eddie murphy yes anyone else if you said it in a dressing room maybe one in a hundred people would know you're talking you know yeah, bobby glitz coming out of la you like, what are you talking about you fucking dickhead have you seen kitson's new show Do you know what i mean why are you talking about a comedian coming out of la when you've got daniel kitson Stuart lee frankie boyle uh we've got Ka- and you've got Catherine Ryan here, you've got Hannah Gadsby performing, you've got comedians of colour coming through that are totally original, you've got some great black British comics, and you want to go and watch fucking Chris Rock. Why? Why not? What what because for diversion, yes. Why do I read Jane Austen? I don't want to be a Regency female. Um I'm I'm able to read Jane Austen without expressing myself like Elizabeth Bennett on stage next <laughs> night. Most, yeah, com- fair enough. most comedians in their twenties are not capable of watching. I don't know. I, I literally don't know the names of these people. Yeah, Donnie yeah. Lopez. They can't watch Donnie Lopez's special without being Donnie Lopez the next night on stage. Yes. They just can't do it. Understood. Um so just be careful. So this is Russell. I'm so I'm so excited about his uh, his uh, willingness to kind of go there on some of this stuff. I love, as you know, uh, challenging people's preconceptions of themselves, and I love getting into sometimes slightly difficult areas. But Russell is so open and so willing to engage with um, some of the the thornier issues um, that uh, that I uh, raise and will continue to raise over the rest of this interview. Um, I'm, I'm really enjoying it and I'm enormously grateful to Russell for coming onto the show. I really came out of this interview with uh, an even higher opinion of him so uh without further ado all, i mean i'm not i'm not really plugging anything you can go to comedyinsights.com uh, and you can also go to comedianscomedian.com if you'd like to find out more about things i'm doing both of those sites will be gloriously updated i'm very nearly ready to very nearly nearly ready to press go on launching a small private version of the site to just get some feedback from people in an attempt to prolong actually launching it. But I've been building my own one in Wix, which is good. Uh, there isn't a code because it's not an advert, but you could probably find a code for something similar by looking around. Now, uh, all I will uh, spruik to you is that you can get in touch at info at comedianscomedian.com. You can tweet me at comcompod uh, and you can join the Insiders Club for 25 minutes of extra stuff from this episode at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. You can follow Russell at Russell underscore Kane or go to russellkane.co.uk and you can subscribe to his channel on YouTube. And I can't at the moment see whether it's po- whether his, his YouTube channel doesn't appear to have a name so much as a, a discrete combination of numbers and letters. But uh, I think you can easily find it by searching Russell Kane or indeed Kaneing, K-A-N-E-I-N-G. Really, really fun to look at those. So have a look. And uh, that is all for now. Let's get back to this interview with Russell Kane. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you were trying to carve out, when you were successfully carving out an identity as a comic who is different again from all the other white male comics in their 30s. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Because you've been, you're someone who sort of yeah. visibly has been through lots of transformations. Someone in, in the, the Facebook group for this podcast, I asked the, you know, questions for Russell Kane, and someone led me down this path to a clip of you doing a show where you were going around America and you were freestyling with someone and doing lots of weird noises. And I remember that, Russell, I remember that kind of like floppy hair, like 90s. Yeah. Russell. I mean, it wasn't the 90s, but, but that no. version of you... I remember gigging with you when you were that person. We did some uni gig somewhere. And I remember just like this kind of, we were in a locker room, like that was our dressing room sort of thing. And you were like pacing back and forth all this frantic energy. And and that would have been about 2007 or 2008. Like. Fine. Well, I, I mean, my, my, my because, uh, because that, cultural radar is uncalibrated. That, it's not calibrated it, correctly. I, you know. No, but that job you referred to was the, was the one that enabled me to leave work. My gotcha, job, gotcha. Okay. But That's that, the one in the helicopter. I got that audition. I thought I'm going to try stand up. Yeah. And, and and it really reminded me that just that tiny clip, it reminded me of just how completely up for everything you were. Like you had this kind of like, he's like, well, let's freestyle. And you're like, sure, I'm going to do that. And I, you know, I watched it even now going, oh God, that's the kind of thing I dread that sort of challenge of like, you know, the gauntlet being thrown down and just having to go, yep, I'm the presenter. I'm doing everything like a grown up Blue yeah. Peter guy. Like, sure, I'll jump off a thing. Um, what was my question? It's It's that transformation well it's it's a yeah so that transformation from that to the live at the electric you to the kind of manscaping kind of eyeliner and tall hair as you kind of move through you, you know your age and life and what you want to express and what have you i wondered whether you had been consciously kind of branding yourself to stand apart from Russell branding myself. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, it did get a bit Russell brand for a little bit. You know, Very. The, you know. So, well, just talk about that. That kind of the 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 different ways you've kind of because I think more than some comics, your work ethic and your battler, and you want to be the hardest kid on the council estate. And I just emphasise that we're using that as an analogy for being the funniest yeah. person. You know, yeah, there was no chance of that being the reality. <laughs> but um, but that desire that that kind of like really indefatigable kind of battler energy that you have like you I felt like you're I wonder if there was like I'm getting in the door this way but I've not quite exploded yet so I'll try I'll look different and I'll aim like this and I'll do what I'm doing which is be funny and make them get up on their feet and go mad but I'll do it wearing these clothes or I'll do it like (laughs) in this thing to try and get to the sort of explosive career that maybe you deserved I wish, how much I wish I'd thought of that answer before because I could have been uh, falsely using it up till now. That sounds amazing. (laughs) That that does sound like such a good explanation for something far shallower that was going on. (laughs) 
Okay, they're best to be completely honest with these things. So I, um, like I say, I'm not getting the violin out. My parents didn't divorce. There was always hot food on the table. We had foreign holidays from when I was 11. I had a good, solid working class childhood. We bought our own council house. My dad dug a swimming pool in the back garden. We were a lot better off than a lot of other kids in my council road. Council road is relevant because, although my friends are from the estate across the park, a road means that some houses are council-owned and some are privately owned. That's what Thatcher did in the 80s. Now, what that means is, as a five-year-old child as I was, I saw a transformation in my dad from when I was five to when I was 15, who went from a council tenant, on, like, i.e. we're in a council house and getting the benefit of a council house, to owning his own house, to sticking pillars out the front of it. It's Brimsdown Avenue, if you want to look at it on Google Maps, you'll still see it now. It's still half council, still half private, still the same. So stick your Google goggles on and have a look at it on Google Maps, Brimsdown Avenue, Enfield. And sure enough, there they are, all standard, boom, 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 terraced council houses, London style, slightly better than Northern style, but still terraced. And then there's ours, four pillars out of the front. My dad wanted Doric Greek pillars, but was told he couldn't have them by the council. He had brick-built pillars, an overhanging porch, double the size of the house. We've got four bedrooms, one of which we turned into a giant upstairs bath. Can you imagine an upstairs bathroom? We couldn't at the time. <laughs> Outside... A dug swimming pool in our massive garden. Some council houses have big gardens. Six foot deep swimming pool. A gym. Only sheet metal built. Not what you're imagining, but still a gym. My dad had a workshop. A peacock house amongst the normal houses. That's the way I was brought up. It's a very, even though Enfield technically is not in Essex, as people keep correcting me online. My dad was from Essex, from Barking. We... We went to Southend every weekend where the um, beach art was and Southend was ended up where I, where I ended up moving when I started stand-up. So I've always felt a cultural affinity to Essex, what mm-hmm. a sentence. It's a very Essex thing that's hard to explain without being mocked. But as soon as you've got money, as soon as you're doing well, you want to show off like a dickhead. It's as simple as that. It's base, it's thick, it's crass, it's pretentious. And that is my people. Uh, that's what we do. What's you know? We don't wear a platinum day date Rolex because it would look stainless steel. So what's the point? Mm-hmm. We would rather wear a gold one with diamonds because more people would notice it, and you will look richer and get more attention at the pool. Ugh, ugh, caveman. So we can pretend this is not going on, or we could admit that it is. It's a uh, it's a very sort of squished working class masculinity that's always been squashed told you're never going to go anywhere that suddenly gets cash or or success or status and that is all that happened to me when i started dressing like a cunt (laughs) (laughs) what i'm getting at i don't refute any of that and if if only someone i left my management over this not my management's fault it's not their job but I'm with a much more hands-on manager now who's like, comb your hair, that's not appropriate, wear a suit, this is the gig, this is how you need to be dressed, this is what people are saying about you. If only I'd had someone like that quickly that could have just said, back to the dressing room, people have fallen in love with Jenny from the block who talks about his dad and his nan. If you start wearing eyeliner and spiking your hair, it's not that um, people won't accept that because we're in a creative industry. It's that all the comics... And all of the audience will think, well, if this is the real you, was that just an act before? 
Yeah, right, right the working class salt of the earth. If if makeup wearing goth alternative Noel Fielding you is the real you, like it is the real Russell Brand and it is the real Noel Fielding, if that is the real you, are we just to delete all the stuff we've been putting in our hands and our... Oh, so it's not real then. So what's the new you then? And then bang, you start to lose your audience. Is that what happened? Starts... Because from the outside, no. I didn't see any of that happen. I just thought, no, oh, wow, he's made an effort in a whole new way. It's what... It's what nearly happened. Okay. It's, it was a puncture in the hole of the ship. I was letting on water. I had no idea until a, a, a friend, uh, I, won't, I won't say who because it's a comedian and they probably wouldn't want me saying, took me aside and explained uh, lying about your age, um, which I just thought was a normal show. But I've got this thing that makes my skin not wrinkle at a normal rate, so I look a lot younger than my age. Sure. But basically, I've got flat, I've got flat feet, stretchy skin, and I don't look forty-five. Yeah. Clearly, I don't. It's not good. It, it's good that I don't look forty-five. The rest of it is all negative. I pull muscles all the time and fucked. So I realised I looked ten years younger than my age at least, and still do. So I thought, great, not five years. Off. I didn't see what was so controversial. This is showbiz. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is showbiz, but it's comedy. And comedy doesn't like a lie, does it? But we have to remember, I have no comedy friends. I don't sit in the bars after gigs. I don't hang around with comedians. I go go in. Mm -hmm. All the comedians like me backstage. I always have nice chats with comedians. No one's ever told me that. There's probably a few people that think I'm a bit irritating. I don't do anything to be disliked. And I, I was ripping it. The theatres were full. I was all over BBC Three. Uh, I had a channel to play with to myself, a corporate work. It was growing, growing, growing. Uh, what was there to realise was going to go wrong? But what was, if you think exactly, the ship is the best image. If you think what was happening with a ship, if you're struck in the hull of a ship, you will go for, you could go for a week letting on water before you start to sink. Someone told me, this is, people are starting to, like what you know, think you know, what are you type thing? Whereas I was like, look, look at me, I can, I mean, I mean, not leather trousers. I didn't wear leather trousers. I'm, look at me, my hair. I, I bet I look really great. I'm going to go on red carpets and and wear Cuban heels, and then I'd show pictures to my mates. Look at me, I'm dressed like a punk. Look at all the girls I'm banging. I just thought it was great. It was like being on a, a merry-go-round. I didn't realise it was calling into question the integrity of the observations and family stories. Never occurred to me. Is this just um, based on what, what what one person said to you? Because I yes, no, it's based on what one what one person said to me, and the disconnect between the growth in my telly work and the growth in my venue size. So I was all over telly. Yeah, the ven the comedian. I'm not being um, ungrateful. The the theatre sizes were were lovely and they were packed. Sure, but they were they were staying. They weren't dug <sighs> going down. The, my audience, my loyal audience were coming with me like some sort of 60-year-old comedian. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was stuck at the 500 to 1,000-seater size, which I thought, like, bothered. You do 80 of those dates, it's a lot of fucking money. <laughs> Obviously, I was doing a lot of telling a lot of corporate work. I didn't realise the, the the fact of... Well, I'm, well I'm, I am obviously joining these two things and, and imagining they are. Mm. So then I took external advice from someone else in the industry who I can't name someone in management who also confirmed that a few people thought these things about me, that I was having some sort of breakdown or I saw I was having some sort of midlife crisis, that it was tragic that I was lying about my age. It was a bit pathetic, uh, that it was a bit shallow to put eyeliner on 
aged 35 when you've never done it before it doesn't seem like a natural fashion thing it seems like someone where the attention has got to their head which was true that's true bear in mind, I'm that's really true. struggling bear in- I mean I, uh, I get, no, but bear I get in mind what that, that person's that coming from is, not the pathetic bit but the the attention had gone to your head bit is true yeah okay, that's what happened okay. Okay, so you so when you heard that, which is like anyone can wear eyeliner if they want to, but you heard the message, this is this is a problem in your eye. You're, you've taken your eye off the ball, and that bit did resonate. Correct. Yes. And so then I took. Uh, I have to be really careful here because I don't want to get anyone in trouble. Sure. But I I basically realised that I needed to speak to uh, a manager who would tell me the truth and would literally go go here do that dress like that but legally you can't do that until you've left your existing management and I didn't know if I was imagining that so I took a leap of faith I had no management at all Mm -hmm. and then I went to a new one who was as surprised as you are everyone I tell this story to is surprised what but you were fucking you were storming only a few people who really really understood comedy knew that if I carried on the way I was going Sooner or later, it'd be like a dot-com bubble. It would burst. You know, what's next? Are you going to start going to America or thinking you're a, a movie actor when you're not? Or And I realised if I comb my hair now, stick a T-shirt and a suit on and remember what I'm fucking good at, this could go massive and bang, that's what I did and that's what happened. You know, now, OK, I'm not doing arenas, but, you know, I start at the 1,000-seater and that's, in fact, that's big enough for me. And I've done, I, I got my comedy out online, that's helped as well, and it, it's sort of taken my career to the next stage, sort of, I would say, top of the championship, bottom of the premiership. And yeah, it's still yeah, growing. yeah, okay, okay. And, that, and now it is... Every two are growing, numbers are growing, another 20%, another 10, 20%. And, and that now is because you are, in part because you are being who you actually are. Like there is, you know, is with the words? caning videos that you do, like there's a lot of stuff which is unmediated, this is just me. You're not needing, you're not 10 years into having big hair thinking, fuck, I've got to put the hair up again. I'm not using my clothes and my behaviour to try and get extra attention from girls and Heat magazine. I'm just using my brain to be funny. Yeah. I happen to be older now and look a bit different, but I'm dressing in relative, relatively normal clothes. Not in my private life. I still wear stuff that's way too young for me. But on stage, I try to um, be dressed in a way where a 45-year-old Gary in the audience would think can't. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Did you did you think you mentioned we mentioned Russell Brand, obviously that name comes up with the sort of the visuals and stuff. Given that he is a, you know an educated and articulate working class metrosexual kind of yeah. doing big universal things, was there a part of you that was like when he I mean I, I don't even know the timeline, but I feel like were you around longer than him and then he overtook you or that, No, no, no. He was already very prominent. He was I already prominent. My first ever gig. So him. was was there did you ever have a sense that like who I am deep down is an educated working class metrosexual doing universal concepts? And did you ever think, oh fuck, someone's got to the seat at the table no, first? No, I always thought I was high energy angry working class funny person like closer to sort of Lee Evans Lee Mac combo that's all I ever aspired to be or wanted to be but fashion wise I started dating a girl at the time she was really cool like punky hairstyle and stuff and I just thought I'd look cool like that I wish my thinking went further than that I would love to say yeah I looked at him and I realised that's the type of mess I just thought god but what would it look like if I put a a bleach streak in my hair that looked fucking cool that's that. It was that bad. 
the, I've got a first in English, and that's as far as my <laughs> co- consideration of the perception of my image went. Weird, isn't it? I thought because it was showbiz, you could do what you want sort of thing. It's rock and roll baby type thing. I didn't realise in comedy there were certain rules you had to follow. Um, like like what? Uh, for integ- To be perceived as having integrity and truth. Because if you lose integrity and truth, then your observations don't pop as much. Didn't realise. It didn't affect the audiences. It didn't affect the lie. Like I do, I've, I did a live at the Apollo where I've got my blue pumas on and my spiky. It never affected the gigs. Uh, I never felt a disconnect between the material. But I'm sure that was coming down the line had I not cut the tumour out when I did. That's very. Um, that's really straight. I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated to hear that because it's not something that I would have guessed at all. And the idea no, that it was I based got it early. In, yeah, it's kind of based on part in data and in part on one or two trusted industry people saying and this track, is happening. And tracking theatre numbers. Tracking, tracking the numbers, yeah. I, you, if, you, if I put you on TV doing stand-up uh, five nights a week next week with your own BBC Three show and put you rummish amounts on telly mm-hmm. and your theatre tickets increased a bit but not massively, yeah. what would your conclusion be? Sure. Yeah, yeah, that it wasn't that I was shedding them somehow. That you need to do something different on that. You need to change the way you're you're mainstream in the theatre. It's not an issue. People Mm -hmm. get the the comedy light shines. I couldn't give a shit if you're in a bin bag. Funny's funny, Mm -hmm. but when your TV's a very different medium, um, and so's online. And if you're putting yourself out there in a pouty nude selfie, I think I'm good looking. I think I'm cool type way. You're no longer outside the system mocking. You're within it. Thinking, thinking, I'm. You can't go. Oh, here's a nude selfie done for charity, but thinly veiled because I'm currently in shape and want likes for my abs, and think that people aren't going to see through that. Caught the, but you, but I did think that yeah. people wouldn't see through that, and it, they did. Uh, but the industry saw through it, and, and people would have followed. Um, so then I found myself in a really interesting position in 2000 and let's say 12. Where I'd realised, gone shit. Uh, met the main main part of it was meeting Lindsay, who was mm. like, "I really fancy you, but you you're dressing like it looks fucking really weird. Why don't you dress more for a man your age? It'll be sexy, uh, and maybe just do make a joke of of your age." And so I did a whole show about it. I called "Right Man, Wrong Age." Right, uh, right, right. Biggest okay. selling, the billion biggest selling show I'd ever done, talking about how pathetic it is. Um, how the vanity and and growing up that's that's the show i think the routine was from you're talking about yeah okay um at the start um so i got rid of all that talked about it to anyone that had listened and it stopped people one day you lied about your age i go yeah currently living off the earnings of it and that shut everyone up (laughs) uh and so i got to the stage where i was hair combed i was just wearing a little black disc earring but in a nice jacket Uh, and i like well what do i do now um my management Got me working solid. So I was back on TV. I'm working solid. Um, I'm on TV solidly, sort of the same rate I am now. You see me now and again. I'm on all the time now and again. I'm not like I'm on all week at the moment on Channel 4. Steph's back lunch and then I might disappear and then I'll come up on something cool and then I'll do some stand-up thing that's going, how did you get there? And then I'll go out on the road. It was How can I grow it? Because what's happened is I've not lost the people I have. Mm -hmm. I've put off new recruits who've seen metrosexual camp spiky hair. And those new recruits aren't under 29. They are my 25 to 45-year-old married people. They're the people who oh, I relate to because that's my age. I'm mm. talking about having young children. I'm talking about getting married. But they don't think I'm going to be talking about that. 
they thought, oh, he's probably like the vegan gender politics, spiky hair, talking about philosophy and Tibet and the Dalai Lama and polysyllables, Russell Brand type stuff. It's not for me. And I'm not. I don't have any of that in my shows. I wish I was that clever. I am. What about when you have a shit and your missus is in the bath at the same time? Who would do that? That's my stuff, but done more cleverly. Um, so how, did, how could I bring them in? And I was fucked. I was at a real crossroads. And that's when I had the, the massive brain wave in 2012, which uh, 2013, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, which is going online. Which is going online. Gotcha. Okay. Well, let's, we can talk about both things because what my, the next thing I wanted to talk about was your connection to your audience. I re-listened to Smoke Screens and Castles and... Um, in in that show, it struck, which I thought was brilliant, and like I hadn't, I, I think I'd seen some stuff from it around the time of it, but like hearing it all in one go, it's great, and I'd even forgotten or didn't know the ending and the kind of sucker punch ending, and it's really, it's a really great show. Throughout it, you pretty continually are saying little disclaimers. Like, you might think this is Ponzi, but it's important to me. This probably sounds daft. This probably sounds ridiculous. This probably no, sounds sentimental, that. but this is what I think. And it right. struck me, like, through, <laughs> do, do, do you recognise that? Do you, do you kind of recognise no, that? No, I don't. I'm, I'm horrified to know that I do that. <laughs> I won't say continually, but frequently. It, it comes up enough that I noticed it. It's, it, it's um, bet hedging, heading off the critic stuff, I would have thought. Um, well, I wondered if it was. I wondered if it was. Oh, that's interesting. My theory was it was to make sure, in your words, you know, the Garys and the Daves and the no, Terrys and what have you. It's not the audience to make sure that those people are with you. But it's not. No, it no, was no, no. that was They're more fine. about. No, it's it's heading off you lot, the comedians. It's heading off critics and probably some, on so... some fucked up level. The biggest heading off the internal critic of my dad, the biggest voice in my That's life. The, I mean, you're fucking pond, yes. fucking shit. Never achieve anything. Life shit. You'll die poor. That was like his his album. <laughs> because surely, like you, the amount of times the the the, the fate, the weight you've put in the opinion of critics far outweighs the importance of it. And a couple of times you said, "Oh, what the comics say," but we've established there aren't really, you know, comics aren't yeah, getting I, together to bully you. No, 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 no. saying anything to your I've face. Never heard you know, it. I've never, I've never. It's, it's about it. that critical voice. Correct. It's about that. It's about yeah. the critical voice of your dad yeah. speaking through all of these other things that could potentially be conceived yes. of as as critical. Yes, bullseye. That. So 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 that show about your dad. You were ironically saying you might think this is <laughs> ironically the voice of my dad's dad. the whole show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it didn't spoil no. it by any means, but and, and it does make it palatable. It does. It does. You know, you're continually treading a line between here's a uh, arguably highfalutin concept, and here's just me reaffirming that I'm one of us and I get it. And so you do take people by the hand. It's one of the reasons behind its success. But isn't that fascinating that in that show you're constantly saying this probably sounds ridiculous, Dad. But this is uh, what I mean. The, um, I mean, that is the thing you get with these comedians, these group two comedians who don't have specific wordings for specific routines. None of Smokes and Grossels is not written down anywhere. It never was. So the, there'll be one the, word the true preconceptions bubble out of it without you it, being able to stop It's them. different every night. Some nights I forget the punchlines because the middles of my routines are normally funny. Sometimes I don't. I forget, I'm like, I'm in the car like, I didn't do the punchline. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm not wedded to the wording. So different things will come out each night. And yeah. so the fact that the cameras were running was probably why that was even more ramped up to 11 because I knew it was yeah. going beyond South End Theatre. You can hear that. You can hear that in your voice and you can hear yeah. the, the, the fact you that you're at home and that you can hear the fact that you're... I think at one point towards the end you even say... I don't, you probably noticed I messed up the case. I messed up the, you know, the, the, the present tense there. 
along the way. And you know, yes. I don't want to spoiler it for people who yet, yet to catch up with yeah. that, whatever it is, 12-year-old. Yeah, that's intention- <laughs> that, that, of course, is, is intentional to, for, to, for the payoff. But ah, interesting it. story about – well, I mean, it's not a spoiler alert. People know my, my dad's been dead since 2003. It's not a, you know, it's not a, it's not a spoiler. Well, I didn't, um, I, I didn't know – I don't know at what point in the show whether he was going to make it through the show or not. Right. Say. So what happened was I started stand-up with all the normal stuff stand-ups talk about, but in my style. So I got a bit further because I was the energy and the funny, all the stuff we talked about. Uh, and then I did a before, – before I'd left work, I did a touring show with Russell Howard where I was like the support monkey. And then in the car, everyone was crying, laughing at these horrific stories about my dad and all the weird shit he said. And then on stage, <laughs> I was doing well – but not as well as I did in the car, making Reginald D. Hunter and Russell Howard laugh. <laughs> and one day, Russell, Russell Howard said to me, look, can I give you some friendly advice? He went, you're sitting on a gold mine and you're putting silver out on stage. The silver's great. That's your stuff. You, that is your stuff. I listened to him, but it took me four years to listen to him properly because yeah. it wasn't until 2010 I thought, He's right. I'm just going to do a show about my dad. The problem was the little. I tested the water in the pre-preview shows with little routines about my dad, but I couldn't work out a way to talk about my dad in the past tense. Every time I did it, so my dad was a lovely guy. The audience were like, "Oh, oh, his dad's dead." What's the story? I lost. There was a little loss of focus. So mm. just for convenience, I spoke about my dad in the present tense. It made it funnier that he was alive. Mm-hmm. People felt like they could. I carried mm. this creative lie i didn't obviously didn't lie off stage like i did about my age i, I this creative lie i carried on for so long that i thought well does it matter is if, if my dad's alive when i'm on stage i'll just i'll just have an alive dad i can do it till i'm fucking 60 and my dad would have been you know it's not a dead 90s. dad show it's an invincible <laughs> like well, a, an immortal dad funny, show yeah the stories the stories had unlike other shows about dead dads that have gone to edinburgh my show my routines had nothing to do about my dad being deceased they were just funny mm. things working class dad does to fuck you up him being dead or alive was neither here nor there so i thought keep him alive the audience is more comfortable and it's funnier to go, do you want to know what my dad's like? This is what he did the, you know, the mm-hmm. other week. It's just funnier because he's alive and we all feel happy. That's how I did the previews for Smoke Season Castle. That's the way it was until August the 3rd. I woke up, as listeners, I'm sure you know, August the 4th is the first day of Edinburgh. It's the, it's the two for one day. You do get critics in some night. And I'm like, that's the fucking dramatic end. Don't know what made me think of it. I just thought, I'm going to reveal his death at the end of the show and sort of change tense halfway through a sentence under a spotlight doing his voice and that sort of bathos might even get people emotional because I've seen a few comedy shows that got emotional bits and I've never had one. I thought well, that feels like an arty theatrical thing to do at the end of a show. I called my agent and said, she went, that's a really bad idea. You've not tried it. She went, it's a bad idea to gamble. And I yeah. went, can you do me a favour and keep press out on the first night? She went, I can't guarantee it. So I got the call at 6pm. You got no press in. I thought, well, I'll try it on the first night. What's the big deal? Yeah. Took me, I'm really bad at learning stuff because of my Ibiza visiting. And uh, I tried to really, really learn it. Changed my lighting state from my tech the night before for a, for a spotlight. And of course, a few people, girls in the audience started crying. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, I'm onto something here. And then you know, that, was, that was it. So it's a complete... Uh, accident on the first day didn't preview it the end bit that's how that happened and I it was relief really to finally be able to go oh my dad's dead and then I got branded as it was like a dead dad show but the truth was it was a shallow way of getting a theatrical reaction at the end and having a full stop so it's out like something you do off a writing course Given, given that we've, 
<laughs> it's so funny to hear you kick yourself. It's so, do you know what I mean? Like, it's funny it's in a the, sort of a... that's the honest truth. That's the yeah. way it was built. I didn't sit there and go, it needs some bathos. Imagine taking the audience on an emotional journey. That never entered my head. What entered my head was, that's really funny. Imagine if I... Yeah, I could do that and maybe they'll like cry at the end and that'll be really powerful and look really so, good. So with that in mind, <laughs> and we've established that the voices of other comics are important to you because, you know, they're... they're like, you know, they, then Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. Well, and you know, the, the idea of the self-critical voice, the echo that, that's come up a few times in this of like yeah. other comics might say this. Yeah. I've read the transcript of the Stuart Lee bit about your dead dad show supposedly yes like because i thought Which i've I, seen i've seen live i've seen yeah. it live so so to have one of your two masters who is a comic <laughs> and speaks through the voice of you know the self speaks in in echoes of the self-critical voice that might belong to your dad were you able to like how did you take that bit because i looked at well, it I someone thought, fl- i did think it was very funny uh, the honest truth is i did think it i, I thought, thought it was, it was funny, funny and i was i was reading it from the perspective of is this a personal have attack? you seen it performed Yes, I have. I've seen it. Yeah. Then you will know it's. I'm not. Uh, by the way, I'm friends with Stuart. I've been to see his latest show, and we all went out for drinks afterwards and all that stuff. So I've, I don't want to piss him off. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'm not. But I'm not like body shaming him. But he's quite funny to look at now, Stuart. Which helps. <laughs> Sounds like you're body shaming him, mate. <laughs> no, no. What I mean is, when you watch it, the audience. I'm sure some of the audience are doing middle class laughing at the mainstream Russell shouldn't win the award type laugh which is what the joke sounds like it's about yeah but what is actually is it's like watching a boxer who can't punch anymore get really angry about his punch you're laughing at the the primal tragic scream of the character of Stuart league and give me the award in i should have fucking won that i'm better than him it's like a sort of combination between a toddler and a a middle-aged man I'm pretty sure that was his intention. You, you don't. Of course, you get your cake and eat it as well. And we get to make fun of all the Russells being sort of talentless clones. And there's a bit of that laugh in there. But the majority of the laugh is his impotent wail. That's how I took it. I totally I can't agree take, with you. I and I'm so I can glad. take a joke. I'm so glad you you see it that way, and you think like, that's exactly how I see it. But, and I wondered, but, but, but if, particularly given that, like the idea of the sort of the master, the father figure, your father, the criticism, all the rest of it, I was like, oh, that's on a knife edge. You could have really been fucking hurt by that. Not with humour. With with humour, I'm I'm quite sort of like. So when we have writers' meetings, I'm doing. A, f- a comedy show on the day at the moment, if you can imagine it, on Channel 4 called Steph's Pack Lunch. The first jokes in, I always throw in the writer's room are ones that you would never guess I've written them. Things talking about uh, you shouldn't be dressed like that, it's pathetic, that joke wasn't funny. They're all my jokes I've given to Steph to say about me. Mm-hmm. I quite like being the butt of the joke. This, that's what I was like amongst my friends. I don't mind it. I sort of like the attention, really. I, I, I find it funny. I do. I do find... I do find myself funny. Not my, I don't find my joke funny. I find yeah. quite a funny object to make fun of. <laughs> I just do. If, if, I've got a good sense of humour with stuff like that. So that's why I, when people are making fun of me for lying about my age, I sort of want to join in, really. Uh, because I just find it, it is funny. I always think if it's funny, you've got to be able to take it. I've never understood comedians that, uh, that can't. The only time I ever... I ever get uh, would get wound up as if someone saying I haven't behaved properly, like I was mean or I yeah, was okay. sexist backstage or something like that. I would then I wouldn't find that funny. 
uh, even if the joke was funny. But if someone's saying, just give back your award and fuck off, yeah. it's like, I, it did make me feel a bit like, yeah, but no, 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 I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did the Hoffman process. That's right, yeah. And, and I, I just, I only know a tiny bit about that. Callie Beaton did it a little while ago and she was talking to me about it. And the reason it, the reason it kind of comes up is because you seem... Although you're aware of the kind of the critical voice and, yeah. and that, you know, you you seem to have a decent amount of self-compassion. You seem happy. I'm really pleased to see you seeming and sounding yeah. happy. And then I, I'd, I'd read that oh, you'd done Hoffman. Was that a big part of it? What is your kind of, yes. throughout all of this, what is your, what's your kind of mental health journey, to, to use an awful uh, phrase? It's two, it's two things. Time. It's, I've obviously got... My energy thing I'm doing on stage, I should have said that at the top, sadly, is not some sort of theatrical device I've come up with. That is genuinely me plus a coffee. That's how much fucking racing energy goes through my body every day of my life and has done since I was born. In fact, when I was born, I had to be checked over because my hands were permanently forming fists for the first three days. Of They thought I was hyperthyroid. Everything was checked. I'm all normal, but something obviously isn't. That amount of, like, the testosterone of three bouncers squeezed into a pepperami stick, not good up until about the age of 30. Mm. Way too much energy, uh, too much aggression, not against people, but uh, against yourself. Um, just easily, easy loss of temper, I would say. I've never done anything dramatic. There's no big reveals here. Just not, like a constant boiling, running around, kettle just trying to do a thousand just loads of angry energy once I got on top of that time has helped a bit of that being one of the lucky ones who's found I, I think people people never check their privilege I am one lucky fucker to have found what I want to be able to do and do it every day at my top performance level it just it gets a lot of the anxiety out of your system you know, most people don't realise they're supposed to be a chef or they're supposed to be a painter or they're supposed to own their own carpentry firm and they should have started when they were 60. They just sort of drift through life without realising there's this space where they can be doing the thing they were born to do at high energy with high engagement and getting results. It gets rid of a lot of shit that we live in a society where I think you need to, like, to take a pill for that. I think you need to go and see a psychologist. Whereas if I actually gave you a job you enjoyed and you were doing it till you were knackered each day, you might find a lot of that shift of shit vanish. Um, that said, I did have a problem with a few basic things, door slamming, holes in walls, nothing dramatic. Not strong enough to call it self-harming, but strong enough to say I was punching a wall knowing my fist would probably not be intact afterwards. It was on the border of self-harming. So I wasn't like, cut my arm for attention. I've never done anything like that. But I would definitely headbutt a TV in a temper, knowing full well, probably cut my head open and liking the fact it would, for example. Not every day, probably not even every month. But once or twice a year, something mental like that would happen. Never towards a person. I've never scared uh, a man, or let alone a woman or any a creature. I've never harmed anyone. But when it comes to myself, if I couldn't find my car keys, God help the bookshelf. It might get Bruce Lead. And I was like, that's not fucking right. It's probably maybe up to about the age of 22. But really, at 30, you're still like... 
throwing your dinner across the wall because you couldn't find your phone. I mean, come on. So I did the Hoffman. And the Hoffman is, to to my understanding, the Hoffman is like a a sort of long process where you kind of disappear into yourself for a bit. Yeah, quite the opposite. It's a short, intense process. Eight-day residential, I believe it might be seven. I was thinking long compared to an hour of therapy. (laughs) Yeah, but that goes on for years and years and years and years. Hoffman is eight days, done, never go back, no top-up, nothing. So it's like an operation. It's short, very short from therapy standards. I don't know any other therapy that lasts eight days and is finished forever. Um, They take your phone off you. They take books off you. You're not allowed to, literally told not to wank, not to exercise. You're not allowed to sort of get a neck massage of anyone. Nothing at all that would physically divert from the process, which is... And I literally signed an NDA not to do a spoiler alert. Sounds all very Scientology, but it's not. It's based in good old in science. A total assault on the body and emotions. They break you right back down to about seven years old, build you back up again, and kick you out the door when you go along your merry way. And touch wood, rather than punch wood, I have never had a single, not one single since 2009, which is when I went, occurrence of any of those behaviours since. Not one. I I don't put door slamming or shouting or losing my temper in a normal way. I don't pathologise that. We all do that. Men, women, children. I'm talking about punching a hole through a wall or breaking something to feel better about a situation. That's weird. I don't do any of that anymore. Never have. That's great. So, That's great. And um, the, the NDA there that you've signed is uh, a lovely little shield against further investigation of that. Well, I want to respect It's because the, the reason for the NDA is it's there's physical aspects to the process. People want to lay in a couch while someone with a degree tells them what to think. It just doesn't work. It's not shocking enough. If I hit you in the face with a plank and break your jawbone, that scar will be there forever. They hit you in your mind with a plank and change the bits that need to be changed. If you do not get hit hard enough and go in and tear open and do an operation, um, it's close to hip replacement. You can't like go and see a physiotherapy for a hip replacement. It will not fucking work. You've got to cut open, replace the hip, stitch it up, go back out the door. It's close to that. There's physical elements to it. There's an American-y, cringy fuck ever doing that again bits to it there's group elements bits to it you're not even you don't even get your own bedroom even though it's about six grand for the week i've never shared a room with another man in my life (laughs) Uh, there's all these things which break down your walls and yeah you're right sure enough right at the core of mine was the nagging negative voice of my dad so you you know that's different for everyone so i'm not spoiling anything by revealing that so i fixed that and after that what show did i write smoke screens and castles next year literally six months later i did a show called um stupid man smartphone a survival show and i completely sorted out the combed hair wear a suit tv work was cooking everything was back online and i was like how can i go back to dramatically growing my reach because i know my stuff is disappointingly universal and vanilla and i want people to hear it i want to be mocked by other comedians for being obvious <laughs> that way you know you're getting it you know you've got a swimming pool indoors when you're being mocked for being obvious i thought how can i remind people that i am doing family universal stuff and i was doing a survival with a youtuber and he said to me Stuart Weiss, he said to me why don't any of your lot meaning us meaning old school analog save up your material sell it to apollo once a year 
why don't we ever just switch on a camera and put stood up on the spot, properly performed, stand up down a webcam or a phone camera online dropped? Why don't why why is it never and I checked, not one comedian on the planet, not one in any country, America or UK, none were doing it on Facebook or Instagram. Not one. Why? Obvious. Material is precious. If we give it away online, we can't perform it on stage. Oh, that's why YouTubers can do more banal stuff like open a present and be vaguely witty. But you go past that, you hold it, you make a lot of money. He said, no, no, you missed my point. You know all the stuff in a preview that, oh, that was quite good, but not quite mm-hmm. good enough. He said, just do me a favour when we get back from this survival trip. And we was knee deep in snow when he told me, 17-year-old kid, do a three-minute video with your B stuff that's not good enough and dies on stage. I did it. 70,000 people watched it. And I think I sold 200 tickets off the link I put on it. I was like, fuck. Then the next week, I did something that was really topical. but And it was funny for a few nights on stage, but I knew wouldn't be the next week. So it's, I could only use it. Like, And I wasn't on Mock the Week that week. I wasn't Have I Got News For You. And I was able to get in there first, before News Quiz, before all those programmes. 70,000, I was like, shit. Then I did one that 300,000 people watched. And I've done it ever since. I call them canings. And once we could do it, obviously everyone's doing it now in lockdown, fair play to them. But up until 2018, I was still, according to Facebook, who I went into their headquarters and met with, the only stand-up on the planet. Plenty of stand-ups doing funny sketches, funny blogs, laying back on the sofa, being funny. No one stood on the spot, not professional comedians, I mean, stood on the spot performing as though doing stand-up, cut and dropped. Still none. And I used that to... Uh, join the online world with the analog world now plenty travel in the other direction they come from youtube and instagram and influencer onto stage none go i'm on stage i really fancy being layman online none because it sounds like an idea that doesn't make sense any newer comics next time you have an idea that doesn't make sense and sound shit i advise you to do one thing try it and then don't do it again if it really is shit because one out of ten of those, you'll end up doing something that no one else does and you'll have more bums on seats. And that's what it's about, making people... If you're passionate about stand-up, that is all you should give a fuck about. What a what an episode. <laughs> Jesus. Thank you, Russell. That was I really... bet there's some backlash from that. I bet yeah. you. <laughs> I'll get it out quick before you can change your mind. It's too on it. Like I said, I too, I'm, I'm, I have, I'm honest. And there, there, was, there wasn't enough thinking in my life where there should have been more. And some things were overthought where they should have been less. But better to be in a position now where you took the risks and got to a, you know, you made the decisions you did and got to a position of success whereby you can look back and go, that was a mistake, than to have yeah. been too reticent. Or is it, I don't know if reticent is the right word, too cautious and yeah. maybe not. And also, and also, it sounds so um, banal, but meeting the right woman at the right point is important because she literally said, you look like a fucking dickhead, sort your life out. <laughs> <laughs> It's very powerful. Someone whose someone who's bra you want to take off on a regular basis tells you to wear different clothes, you do it. And, and I think that is the real lesson <laughs> that we've all learned here today. So that was Russell. Really grateful to him for coming on the show. Thank you for listening. I enjoyed that one enormously. Follow Russell at Russell underscore Kane or go to russellkane.co.uk. And if you'd like to know more about the Canings on YouTube, then search for Russell Kane in the YouTube search bar. 25 minutes of extras, including incredible advice for comics who are considering following in Russell's footsteps, performing live stand-up on YouTube. If you're thinking about doing that, don't miss the extras for this. Uh, and also some... Uh, 
some thoughts on a kind of not exactly a war but a kind of a, a stubborn digging heels in situation that Russell got into kind of using a particular piece of criticism or the work of a particular critic as kind of grist to his creative mill. So all of that, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. For much more, all of the extra content from every episode that has it, including the recent exclusive Insiders Q&A with Mr. James Acaster, all of that is there. Uh, no postamble today. This is a retread, a re-record uh, of a lost file. So I'm completely out of time for postambling. Apologies. Um, but if you would like to find out about my virtual office party, now available as the perfect solution to remote working office parties, sales conferences, motivational well-being events, stuff like that, if you're a corporate bod, uh, then I can tell you that the following quotes are real. The games and interactive element were hilarious and extremely well executed. 10 out of 10 from us, you created a real buzz in our business. Thank you. And it was an absolutely hysterical and wonderful evening for both those partaking and everyone watching online it's bloody good and i'm having loads of fun doing it so go to virtualofficeparty.co.uk or go to comedyinsights.com to find out about what i can offer your business that's an odd sentence isn't it i'll find a less corporate speak way of saying that um but it is true i can offer your business a thing if you have one so uh, get in touch about that at comcompod on twitter comedianscomedian.com for everything else and uh, please join me in thanking Russell Kane. <laughs> join me in thanking... I'm so desperate to be on a stage. That's what I'd normally say at the end of the night. Um, join me in thanking Russell Kane. Your editor was Nathan Wood and Jake Crossland did the logging as ever. Your podcast consultant was Peter Dobbing and the music was by Rob Smouten. Thanks, everybody. I've been Stuart Goldsmith. Enjoy your week. Next week, Bethany Black. And then after that, we've also got a fantastic... That's an absolute cracker. And I've just finished recording now a brilliant episode with Olga Koch. So both of those to look forward to as well. And that crying baby in the background means it's time for me to get out of here. Bye for now. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.